city of stars Are you shining just for me? City of stars There's so much that I can't see Hello and welcome to another episode of our Conversations with Sound Artists podcast series. This is our uh, special edition where we're focusing on films that are nominated in both categories for the Academy Awards uh, in 2017, both the sound, uh, the Best Sound Oscar and the Best Sound Editing Oscar. And I'm really excited to be kicking off the conversation today with a focus on La La Land and especially excited to have uh, Steve Morrow here with us. Um, we we kind of focus on post-production, so this is... This is an unexpected. It's a it's a treat for us to have a production sound mixer. Well, it's a treat uh, for me to be here. <laughs> absolutely. Well, thanks for coming in. Thanks. So, for Steve, you've been uh, obviously you've been a production sound mixer for a while, focusing on film and television. I noticed you know you, you you've you've worked on Six Feet Under and a whole bunch of different movies. I just wrote down a couple from Labor Day to The Purge, which I'm sure you have some interesting <laughs> stories from from the set on. Um, but today we're focusing on La La Land uh, and and kind of you know what your experience was on on the set and and how that process went but first i wanted to ask you like this is a big day today was the oscar nominees lunch right. day yes and it's your first time you know going through this kind of whole crazy circuit yeah. with the oscars as, so, I, as we were told we are the newbies oh you're newbies oh that's good so for you know our audience uh, for these podcast series it's kind of a mixture of film school students and mm -hmm. then professionals and and and, and also a, a pretty big international cross section so for people who have never uh, had the pleasure of being nominated for an academy award what is the oscar nominees lunch and, and what happened today all right well uh being as it was our first, it's a little blurry, I think. But going there, um, we, we didn't really know what to expect. Everybody said it was uh, going to be one of these really fun experiences. And I think it, it's the whole uh, event is a surreal experience to just be nominated and kind of pinch yourself. You're like, I don't think that's really happened, right? I mean, you have to, it, you know, you go into work that day and everybody's like, hey, congrats. And you're like, all right, cool. This is, this is great. So... The luncheon, I think, is the first time that <clears throat> all the nominees come together. Um, it, 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 by the end of it, it culminates, culminates, uh, culminates into a, a class photo. They, everybody gets their their names everybody, called up yeah, individually. Everybody gets up on, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. And so they, you know, as you're clapping for everybody, and your hands are going numb because it's, you know, you're clapping for 20, 30 minutes because everybody's <laughs> name is being called uh, one by one. It's really neat to see all the all the effort that everybody puts into it, you know, kind of get recognized. Cause obviously you do other movies that are, you know, just as hard, harder, easier, but, um, not always get recognition for it, or at least in that regard in, in the Oscar regard. So the luncheon is, is a mingling of, of stars and, and below the line and above the line people. And, um, and you know, you get lucky enough to go and meet, you know, actors you've worked with in the past, right. actors you've never worked with that you hope to, you know, directors and editors and, and such. And you have lunch and they call up your name and you take a big group photo. And People people say it, it tends to be a pretty relaxed, happy affair because obviously everybody's still, on, everybody's still a nominee. Nobody's won and nobody's lost. Yes. You can say congratulations to anybody. You know, everybody has a tag on. And if you're nominated, you have a black tag. And if you're not, you have a white tag. It has your name on it. And uh, you can just say congratulations to literally anybody. That's you know, awesome. you can say it to uh, 
<clears throat> you know, Natalie Borman, and she'll be super excited that you said congratulations to her because everybody there is, you know, potential, basically a potential winner or is already a winner for just being there. Right, exactly. So I have to ask, who was, who was at your table? We had uh, Casey Affleck was the, the star <laughs> that was at our table for uh, Manchester by the Sea. Um, and then we had our visual effects uh, supervisor from Rogue One. Cool. And uh, and a, an effects editor, a sound sound editor from uh, Sully. Excellent. So it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, congratulations Thank on you. your first nomination. It's awesome. So I think you know, uh, for maybe those in the audience who don't know exactly what a production sound mixer does, just give us the short version of of your work and and what you do on the set. The short version is our job specifically is to record the the dialogue of the movie. Um, if there's a mistake or if there's some uncontrollable noise uh, that has to be re-recorded, that's done in post. But for the most part, the goal is 100%, you know, production dialogue in the movie. Uh, La La Land is, is a has a little bit more challenges. Basically, you're you're also responsible for the music, you know, being in sync, being played back, where you're you know going to provide playback speakers or earpieces for the actors to to sing uh, also recording all the instruments so basically it's all you know it's all the raw material for the sound we, we try to capture on set and then obviously they can add whatever they want in post but right uh, the majority of the time you're just trying to collect all the raw materials you know if you if you're if a film is building a car you know we're the parts department right we're right. bringing in all the raw material putting it you know, in a big basket and sending it off to the guys assembling it. So tell me a little bit about the the process on La La Land. I, you know, obviously it's a musical, so that has its own complications in terms of what your, you know, how it affects your work right. on, the, on the set. So um, was this, uh, was the process for La La Land, was the, the songs have been pre-recorded with the cast before production? Well, the, the, so the process started in uh, basically the job interview, right? The Damien Chazelle said, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to record everything live if we can. Really? Um, Meaning that he wanted, he wanted Ryan Gosling and Emma right. uh, Stone and the other actors to sing, to sing the songs live right. on we the want set. You, we want to have everything as live as possible or at least sound live. Um, obviously, there are a few things, you know, the, the traffic jam song at the beginning – um, yeah, that I, was, I, I, I've got a lot of questions yeah. about that sequence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was a that was a pre-record, just straight playback. Um, but Emma Stone, uh, anytime she's singing, that's her singing on set. That's amazing. So at the party, uh, when she's looking into the mirror and she's singing real soft, that's her singing on set. Even in the roommate song, when she's dancing around, she doesn't have a lot of vocals in there. But when she does, those are all production tracks, and the rest of the girls are lip syncing. Oh, interesting. So why? So in that sort of situation, why would you make the decision that some of the actors are lip syncing and some are singing live? I think um, the places where her dialogue comes in are very easy to sing because she's not dancing at the time. The other girls were dancing the entire time. Uh-huh. I also think that it was a, a choice for Damien to make the film, make the sound feel like you're there versus, okay, now we just went into playback mode. Um so I think those those bits where it'll trick the audience, the audience go, I don't know, was that live? Was that playback? Not that they necessarily say that out loud. Right. Other, if they did, then it'd be a disaster. Well, and part of it, you know, if, if you listen to a lot of old musicals, there tends to be a real 
tonal shift between mm-hmm. you know the speaking scene and then suddenly there's this there's the vocal timbre for the song right. parts and obviously you avoid that by by singing live on set but for the actors that must be a very daunting challenge um you know it was um i think they were up for it i mean obviously they were up for it they did it but um there was always a pre-recorded track in case you know what if somebody comes down with laryngitis what if their voice is shot somebody had a cold that anything day or can happen right, right? Yeah. so those are the those are the the reasons to have uh, the backup tracks uh, for that. I mean, for example, the the '80s party that she goes to and is making fun of Ryan while he's playing the right. Um, that that guy sung live. Everything, all those songs are live now. His uh, pre-record sounded very similar. I mean, he's got that comic timing in it. But on the day, we said, "Hey, you want to do it live?" Oh, I'd love to. But it changes the, I mean, the change, you, you can tell that in the performance. Can't yeah. You? Yeah. 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 So it was, I think anytime that we could do it live, anytime everybody was comfortable to do it live, we did it live. Um, even the roommate song we did live for a take. Right. Um, didn't work out. Didn't use it. <laughs> but yeah. we did it. And, and then it, you kind of got the energy, the energy of them singing it live changed because instead of them just lip syncing it, all of a sudden they were like, oh, we have to sing live. Oh, okay. You know, and even though it wasn't, you know, usable or good because of all the other aspects that were happening. Um, I think it changes the performance in the following takes after that. And they went, Oh, okay. I can actually just sing out loud. That's fine. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, on a normal non-musical mm-hmm. show. So when you have a, a scene where obviously your, your responsibility, as you said, is trying to collect the, the cleanest recording of the dialogue possible. Yeah. So are you, what are you using? Are you using a, a mixture of boom mics and lavaliers or what, how do you normally approach you're recording on set. Um, my approach is, is <clears throat> in my mind, simple. It's what, what's going to be the cleanest. Um, the boom mic always sounds better, uh, just just clarity wise. But you know, we we did a walk and talk down Ventura Boulevard the other day, streets alive, and my boom man and I were talking. He says, "Let's let's boom it." And I said, "Well, I think it should be radio mic." He goes, well, I can boom it. It's right there. It's real close up. And the problem is his mic would be kicking out towards the traffic. Right. And my radio mic would be aimed away from traffic. His whole body would be covering it. So we ended up, you know, we put it on him. Let's just put it on him. And then on a rehearsal, I can go back and forth and listen to it and go, yep, radio mic's way cleaner. That's just, you know. And and, and my crew is, you know, Craig Dollinger's boom operator. Him and I have been working together for 16 years. And we have kind of a shorthand where it's not an insult to say, hey, you know, yours isn't as clean as the radio mic is. Sure. It, you know, that's our job is just to get it clean. So I think, <clears throat> you know, depending on depending on the scene, if you can see a rehearsal and you kind of get the idea of what the frame is, uh, the booms always sound better. But the necessity of using a radio mic, I, I don't, I'm not afraid. But of sometimes it. you can't use uh, the boom because either it's, it may be picking up incidental noise or maybe the shot is so wide that you right. can't get in tight enough or there are right. any number of reasons. Well, yeah. And, yeah. And a lot of the time it's two cameras, you know, wide and tight, right. You know, which is, which is sometimes a, a product of, of, um, uh, budget and time. You know, we don't have time to do, you know, everybody knows that it's, let's do wide shot and let's do, let's go in for coverage because it helps everybody lighting and, 
performance and everything, but sometimes you don't have the time or the money to do that. So you just do, you know, two cameras wide. Shoot them both at the same time. Let's shoot it. Let's just get it done. Let's turn around. Let's hurry up. So we're cognizant of that as well. And we don't, you know, trying to not put our foot down in moments where eh, we can use ready mic. It'll sound good. You know, it's still going to sound just fine and it'll protect the, the, the tight shot audio. And, and so sometimes you just, you know, it's a compromise. Everything in the film business is a compromise. Yeah, of course. You know. <laughs> and there's never enough time. Right. And there's never enough time. I mean, even a 300-day movie, you know, there's no time. Yeah. And it's like, you just spent a year doing this movie. <laughs> and some movies are 18 days and there's no time. So yeah. Yeah. I think um, in the end, you just, you try to get the best quality sound with, in my in my terms, the least amount of hassle for anybody. Right. Um, there are times when I say, hey, can you do you know, cross coverage, we're on Ventura Boulevard, traffic is flying by, and if you do one side at a time, when you go to cut, it's going to be a disaster. That's right. And you're going to have to re-record the whole scene. But if you do it, you know, cross coverage, and, you know, medium and tight on both cameras, you'll save it. And, and you know, sometimes that argument makes sense to cinematographers and directors. They go, oh, all right, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Or sometimes they go, ooh, I can't. The lighting's not good, you know, or whatever it is, and that's totally fine. And you just have to roll with it. Yeah, you just put it out there, and you just say, here's what would help if that's possible. And um, and if it if it's not possible, you have to be understanding also. You right. know, it's not a demand, it's an ask. So, yeah, yeah. So um, La La Land, what, you know, because of, the, of Damien's desire to have the singing happen live on the set, did that affect your decisions in terms of how you mic'd it or your approach to the scene? Or obviously, that's that's a layer of complication. Right. Right. The the only one that <clears throat> it, it changes it obviously when you go into it knowing okay at any point any of these can be live. So you have to just plan that you know. You have to have the earpieces planned out. You have to have everything ready to go if if it switches from playback to live. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the roommate song was nineteen takes of playback, and then the twentieth take. Let's try it live. <laughs> and it wasn't like okay, well, give me twenty minutes. You know, it was like okay, here, here's your piece, here's your piece. So when you switched, when they're singing live, they're hearing what when what's happening on the set at that. So point? what happens is all the playback speakers go silent, and they have a earpiece. You know, like a little uh, phonak earwig. Um, that which we transmit the, which to. theoretically is not visible. It's uh, yeah, I mean that's the best best case. But their hair, a lot of it, the hair covers oh, it, yeah. um, and you put it in, um, and then you also feed the music through the headphones, the contacts for directors and producers, and uh, and then you and for also the camera operator because he's going by the music as well, right? Uh, and the video assist guy, so that when they play back, they can hear everything together again, and then you just you know the actresses were all radio mic for that scene. Even though it's, yeah. but the beginning of the scene, if you look at it, it's a bunch of dialogue. They're jumping in each other's closets. You know, you got to go to the thing and then they start the song and they go. So that was a radio mic thing, uh, even though they're inside interior, but the lighting <clears throat> was a challenge because Linus had to light the entire set from the, from places you can't see. When else are you going to get to see a very Hollywood cliche crammed into the same room? We'll make fun of it together. <gasps> I'm disappointed in you, Lex. There's nothing to make fun of. This party's going to be like... Humanity at its finest. You got the invitation, you got the right address. You need some medication, the answer's always yes. A little chance encounter could be the one you've waited for. Just squeeze a bit more. Part of the whole design of that film is that these tend to be really long shots. Right. And how much of the stuff, especially for the singing sequences, 
Um, how much was on stage and how much was on location? Was there any stuff that was on location? Everything. Other, other than the opening sequence, obviously. Everything was location except for her audition scene, which really? was in a warehouse in uh, Echo Park. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so nothing was on stage. Like the, the their apartment is a, an apartment down in Koreatown. Wow. Uh, it was like the penthouse apartment. Um, the the you know the Griffith Park was in Griffith Park. Right. That song, by the way, was not uh, live recorded. Uh huh. Okay. I guess I misspoke when I said everything Emma Stone does. That one was a pre-record. So their their dialogue at the beginning, obviously, it was just a walk and talk dialogue, and then sure. boom, we hit into playback. Not much to look at, huh? I've seen better. The sun is nearly gone. The lights are turning on. A silver shine that stretches to the sea. So that that whole sequence is sort of shot at magic hour, but that was I, I kind of presume that maybe that was rebuilt on a stage. No, that, that sequence where they're actually singing and dancing, but that was all really yeah, on that was all a practical location. Yeah, that was wow. that was at Griffith Park. We rehearsed all day. I mean, they were rehearsing for weeks, right? And then we go out to the location uh, a couple times at night uh, in the previous weeks just for them to practice because it's actually a pretty graded hill. Mm-hmm. Right there. Yeah. Um, it doesn't appear so in the film, but it's it's pretty heavy, steep um, road right there. So we went out there, practiced a couple times, and then the day that we were going to film it, the goal was just to film the shot right after sunset. You'll get three full takes, and then we'll all go home. And that was it. So each take <laughs> was seven minutes, and obviously they're dancing and singing, you know, on the take. So you got to give them five minutes to. Rest and relax. Catch and back their to breath. one and do it again. <laughs> and and it was as soon as the sun set, you know, we had rehearsed all day. The camera moved because it's one big uh, crane shot. And um, that was it. That was all on location. They added all the light poles, all the cars. Right, right. And did some sky replacements and stuff like that. Nope. Really? Real sky replacements. I, I have video of it showing like what color that sky was. I, I mean, Linus just was able to get the, the perfect sky. The thing they did add, I think, was sparkly lights further down below because below is the cemetery. Right, right, right. And then when you're looking down there, instead of just being this black zone, it just continued the lights. But they put city down there, right? They yeah, put yeah, city yeah. down there, but beyond that, no, so it's, that it's was, even uh, it's even more magical than I, you know, because I've been in the business a long time, so sure. you kind of presume like, oh, well, this was kind of pieced together, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, they'll just drop in a green screen or uh, sky wasn't pretty, they'll just dial it in later. But the, the, actually, the sky was that pretty. That is amazing. And the same on the uh, pier at, at the Huntington Beach. Right. Hermosa, 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 Hermosa Beach. Hermosa Beach. Uh, they added all the lights post down the pier. Right. But that sunset was there. I mean, we, you know, in the sound department, as cynical as you are, we're like, man, they got really lucky. Every sunset shot in this movie is just so. It's a real sunset. It's that color. <laughs> like, holy cow. They, just, they nailed it every time because they would do it. Like, you know, as a production person, you're like, are they going to pull it off? What if they slip on one take? You know, it's an eight-minute long take. You know, they slip in the middle of it. Then you right. have to reset and run back and try and, it again. And, and you lost your light. And lost your light. And then, But that the scene was scheduled for two nights in a row. They definitely got it on the first night. It was fantastic. And the director said, look, we're scheduled for two nights in a row. Let's do it again next tomorrow night. What if it's better? Right. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sure what take they used other than it was take one of one of the nights. 
Because after the first take, after that color, you know, seven, eight minutes later, it was much darker. And then the last one was almost night. Right, right. So. This was your first time working with Damien. It was, yeah. <clears throat> and and what's the process of working with him on the set? What's kind of, what kind of, what kind of set does he run? Um, he, he's actually, he's one of these guys that you dream of working with because he, he has the movie in his head. He, he doesn't show up and say, okay, what are we shooting today? Right. You know, let, let's, let's figure this out. You know, let me see rehearsal and see what I can figure out, which is fine. Sometimes movies need that, but on a movie like this where the timing is, is such Crucial, an amount, yeah. obviously the lighting cues, the, the sound, everything has to come together. And if you have somebody who's not pulling their weight as a director, then you, then you get lost also as a crew. Right. So he, he's the kind of guy that you, you show up, you know, you already know what he wants. You, we've all been on tech scouts. Um, and you know, you just start setting it up and, and that way he gets the maximum amount of time with the actors. Right. Um, but pretty much he expects you to do your job. You know, you're not running to him. Hey, what do you, what do you want to do here? You know, like right. at that point you're, it's, it's lost and you should, you should know what you want to do there. So that was the, that's, that's what he's one of those guys that has like today we're doing eight shots, you know, it's this, 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 and this, and this, and there's, that's it. And that's what we're doing, especially for some of these big shots. You know, they are long wonners and, and these pretty intricate shots. And so him and the uh, Ari, the steady cam operator, would just go through the shots and they would they would have rehearsed it already or he, he would have shown them a, a iPhone video of what he wanted with his <laughs> his assistant playing the different parts, you know, and here's the shot, you know, and then they'd look at it and go, Okay, great, you know. And are you? I mean, and are you? Are you watching those rehearsals and trying to say, well, where can I get a boom in here? Or yeah, we're. I mean, yeah, you, 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 you watch all the rehearsals um, for some of the bigger things, like the roommate song. <clears throat> we had a day before to load in all the speakers. Uh, it was a practical set, so it was a, it was a real apartment, and we would run wires into through the windows, and we'd have to hide speakers in every room because a lot of the rooms you'd do. You know, almost a 360s, you'd have like 340 degrees, there'd be that 20 degree wedge where you could put a speaker. That's amazing. Um, things like that. So you would have to watch rehearsal and you'd go through it with the camera operator. Okay, here's where these speakers are. and But you also have to make sure that the actors can hear it, that, you know, because that's their performance is coming out of those speakers. They have to hear it or else, right. you know, they're miserable. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can always just say, oh, sorry, it's the best we got. And they have to make do because what, what else are they going to do? But you'd rather have them just be overwhelmed with the ease of that portion. So they don't even have to think about it. Were there any, um, were there any scenes in La La Land that, that were particularly challenging for you? Um, <clears throat> well, the, there's one that's actually fairly simple on screen, but incredibly complicated isn't and, that is that always the way right yeah. and, and it's mostly actually uh michael coletta our utility sound uh man on our team so we have three-man crew uh me me craig and michael or craig michael and i he on the on the hermosa beach pier <clears throat> that shot is basically 360 degrees and you see all the way down the pier mm -hmm. well you can't bring out a boom box and just hit play because nothing's going to sync up you have to have pro tools you have to have time code um, and then you also have to be prepared. Okay, this might be live. This might not be. So it was his job. Uh, I was on the shore. I was 1,000 feet away. And it was his job to run 4,000 feet of cable. Wow. You know, because you have to have four feeds. So you have to send music. You have to send the time code. You have to receive Ryan's uh, radio mic in case he sings live. And then you also have to send the earwig feed. Right. 
uh, and the, the ComTech channel, which we put on the same feed for that day because it was like, okay, let's not kill them with 5,000 feet of cable. And then you also have 20 minutes and go, you know, and you have to hide it. So he, he you know, he was able to hide it and he hung it on the, on the different parts of the pier, you know, on the railing. And he hid the transmitter behind this trash can and put the receiver up on this light pole, you know, and it was, that's one of those things where you look at it and go, this is the easiest scene. It's one guy lip syncing on a pier to a steady cam shot, but, you know, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly. I actually think one of the guys, if you're watching the movie, there's one guy just sitting on a bench, you know, and there's people on benches throughout. Right. That's crew members just like, okay, well, we can't run a thousand feet that way every time you roll. So we'll, <laughs> we'll be extras. We'll wear hats. Give me a fishing pole you know, cut and they can run over and do the makeup real quick and check them. And then, okay, let's go back to the benches and everybody do their parts. Oh, that's, that's hilarious. That's what it was. You know, so that challenging scene, you know, that's the first time we're in our department, we were sweating. We were like, Oh, you know, is this going to work? I mean, they're so far away. I mean, it's not, it's not like your job isn't normally stressful enough being on set and you're constantly aware of like the, the meter rolling and how much money all this is costing. Right. And then just the added complexities of playback and, that's amazing. Yeah, we just—I mean, our 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 team. We just try to be as—I um, mean, we try to be as relaxed as possible because the added stress that you can put on yourself isn't going to help you. Right. Um, but there are stressful moments, but you know, um, like we we rigged up the the John Legend uh, concert. Yep. That was our heaviest track count. I think we had 31 tracks of audio, and we mic'd every single instrument, all the horns, all the backup singers, everything. Um, even though it was because a because it was because it was you you had to be prepared. We to had to be prepared live. for live. And what ended up happening is the they the our music team said, hey, by the way, some of the the pre record isn't as great as we want it. And if you can get something for us, we'll try to use as much <laughs> as we can. Okay, great. Uh -huh. Challenge accepted. taking over me and I just know I feel so good tonight I don't know what your name is but I like it I've been thinking about some things we did a few takes where John Legends is sang live uh, and I think Nick uh, our music mixer uh, let us know that, hey, 20% of his vocal made it. I, he said, I originally had 80%, but Damien liked the sound that he originally, you know, that oh, he's been cutting to. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we pulled it back and there's 20%. And all the, the horns in that song are all from production because by the time we got to that song, you know, there was only so much in the budget. And so we just stole the horn sounds from that. Oh, that's so moment. funny. You know, and that's. So how many, tra how many tracks were we, we well, recording? Well, we were doing 32. Wow. Um, and, and that's a heavy day. That's a heavy day, but we, you know, luckily production gave us the, the weekend before, not the weekend before. We shot that on a Monday. We had Saturday to go in, rig it all up, run the snakes to stage, run all the microphones into it. And that's one of those days where, you know, <clears throat> all of a sudden you hear buzz. You go, why is there a buzz? You know, you start thinking, oh, what did I do? Oh, this cable's bad. New cable. You know, you rerun it. Yeah. There's buzzes still there, and you realize, oh, I'm just not powered in the same power as the stage power. Something simple, but that's where you get. Sure. That's where your own franticness of trying to get it done in time 
you know, if you just sit there and think, wait, why is this buzzing? Oh, it's the wrong power. You know, so, you just do it, so in that situation on that day when you're recording 30 plus channels, so you're, you're, I'm, I may be asking a stupid question, no. but you're, you're recording it and keeping separation on all that stuff, but you're also doing a live mix down to what? Two channel for uh, one channel for day, one channel that, that you then give to editorial. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So we have, um, and how, how often does your one, your mono mix down end up being what's used in the film? Oh, that would be a question for. <laughs> we'll find it. We'll find out tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, my, my guess is that um, on a normal film, it's, it's pretty often, you yeah. know, cause the mix is the mix. And if it sounds good, why would you remix right. it? Right. Um, but I would say on a movie like, like this, uh, La La Land where it's, where it's a little bit of everything. Uh, I would say it's 50, 50 probably, yeah. you know I mean? It's, you know, the guys in post have so much more time to, to sure. really dial it in. And, but I would say, you know, for the temp edits and for screenings and things like that, I think, sure. yeah. you know, your work makes it into a lot of it, but, yeah. um, and then the director gets used to it. Right. And the and these are things that director gets used to the, um, yeah. the <laughs> a perfect example is when they're singing and dancing in the park. And at the end she holds up her clicker to her, Chin. To her head, yeah. We just we downloaded that sound effect, put it in the song, and then we played it as soon as she put it to her cheek. Did you really? Because we just thought, well, this would be fun. You know, we'll just sure. add the sound effect because why ruin it with the director going car, right? Or, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So we put it in, and it stayed in the movie, and it lasted, and it's in there. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's it. You know, because you do as a director, you get used to it. Yeah. So how about that opening sequence? Yeah. How about it? <laughs> I think. Uh, I think it's one of those. That's one of those things that people look at and they're like. How the okay, clearly the, there's must be a lot of green screen. Like, how did they um, possibly do that? But you guys actually were out there on a freeway in, yeah. I, I, interchange. It was uh, yeah the one the one ten to the one hundred five, uh, ex, not express lanes but the uh, the pay lanes right you know so that you can shut those down and people can still get around right. Um, we went out there the weekend before we shot and we shut it down I think at midnight until noon on so Friday night at midnight until Saturday at noon to practice. We were going right. to rehearse the three shots. It's three big shots. It's only three shots. Right. So Amazing. it's a whip pan. I mean, obviously there's more when you're in the car with Ryan, but for the big opening, sure. before you cut back and forth to Ryan and Emma, right. you know, auditioning and playing music in his car, it's three big shots for the, for the sequence. So the idea was the weekend before, let's set it all up, let's rehearse and let's see what we're missing so that we can adjust it in the next week and then come back the following weekend and film the whole thing over two days. And um, the goal was to shoot or to, to rehearse all three shots. We rehearsed the first one and it was, you know, that was it that we ran out of time because we had to be off the freeway at noon. They're reopening it. So at 1130, they said, that's it, everybody out. And it, so it took know. 12 hours and you guys had only got made through the first shot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. On your rehearsal day. Well, it, yeah. it, I'll be fair. It, it, I think we probably started rehearsing at 6 a.m. when the sun came up. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. The, the freeway was closed. They had to move in cars. The, you know, transportation was there at midnight moving in all the cars and 
So it, it wasn't it wasn't like we rehearsed for twelve hours and got one. Sure, it, sure. We yeah. rehearsed for six and got one, but <clears throat> but it was like, uh oh, you know, this is gonna be tough. But you know, the 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 adjustment was made so that the following weekend when we came, instead of the crew coming in at six AM and being ready by nine AM to shoot a shot, the crew came in at two in the morning and was ready by four and then and then kind of just waited for the sun to rise. And as soon as the sun was right, we just started going. So that, you know, long shots, really complicated choreography. You're out in the open. Where did you hide your playback speakers? And <clears throat> like just on a practical level, how did you, how did you pull that off? Because I, I presume that that sequence is all playback. There's nobody, yep. nobody singing live Correct. in that sequence. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So the, um, but, but, but were you recording? Obviously you're not recording on set. Well, we're recording, but there's no, um, yeah, you're right. There's no real, um, uh, audio that we're recording in the, in that grand scheme. We record for sync right? Know, to, to sync it up for post. Um, we were hiding in front of the blue van that the uh, percussion is in. Right. Throw open door. So we're right in front of that. Um, by the way, that door of the blue, the blue door broke <laughs> on take 10 <laughs> and they had, the effects had to come in and rig up a wire that they could pull through the other side of the truck, you know, effects was there, they're ready, let's pull it. So now when the guy's pulling it up, instead of it being the 300 pound door, there's a guy on the other side. On the other side, pulling it back. That's hilarious. So that was, you know, those are the things that happened that just nobody would even think of. Um, So that's where we hid. Uh, uh, Video assist and sound were hiding there. Um, We ran a speaker. You had to run speakers on both sides of the freeway because the medium cut out all sound. So when you're up high elevated, there's nothing for the sound to bounce off of. You quickly find out that as soon as as soon as you're five feet away from that speaker, they it's can't gone. hear it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So the the you're, you're up really high while this it's is very going high. On. Yeah, I mean it's two hundred like like feet, a couple of feet, a couple hundred feet off the ground, yeah. right? Yeah, and we weren't allowed to be within four feet of the wall. Right. I mean, it was like that's a no man's zone. If you go there, you're fired. But I have a thing about heights, so I can just imagine how terrifying that must have been. It was, uh, it was something. But you know, you get, you just look at the view and you realize, well, at least I'm not five feet that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we hit a, we hit a speaker behind every other car on both sides of the freeway. Wow. Uh, and then we ran all the power for it and all the speaker wire in between the cars, uh, between the wheels, um, because for the most part, you saw down the lanes of the cars, but you didn't see between each bumper of the car. Right. The concrete. And then we also had the, a great... The pre-rigging on that must have been just crazy. It, it was and it wasn't. I mean, it's... <clears throat> the, the nice thing is with a day like that, your entire electric team, you know, the electricians and the gaffer are there for speakers. Right. right. Those are now their lights because right. there are no lights. They got no lights. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, so they're there to... Here, okay, you just put your speakers down and we'll run cables to them. Great. And, you know, they start running power. You've never been that popular before. Never been you? that popular. <laughs> you know, and they're like, we're so happy you're here because we would be off for the day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Uh, and then we would run speaker wires. And, and, you know, like I said, Michael and Craig, you know, on days like that, there's three of us to to for speaker playback. So it's like, you know, we all jump in there as a team and you just, you know, here's the plan. Here's the, you know, here's the idea. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and and then once that's done, you go, okay, let's play it back. You play it back and you listen. You go, all right, there's a little bit of a dead zone here. Hey, Craig, grab that extra cart. You know, let's put a couple speakers on there. See if electricians have a little generator, you know, pull pull power from that and then we'll give you a wireless receiver so that you can, I'll transmit the, the music to your speakers and you can push it along with whoever's singing in front of camera so that they really hear it no matter what. And it's wow, that's And amazing. that's what we ended up doing. Yeah. And so every shot you would, you would hide some cables or you would, you know, have the onset painter. He would, he had a concrete piece of, of uh, tape 
you know, so it could be a foot wide, and you know, just peel it like you'd put on your uh, uh, cabinet shelfing. Yeah. You know, what, what is it called? Contact like paper? contact paper. Yeah, yeah. but like freeway color. So this is clear. <laughs> this is clearly not. This is not the kind of movie where you get hired uh, the the Friday before they start production on Monday. This, right. This took an enormous amount of work to figure this stuff out. And there was there was quite a bit of prep. Um, we were hired pretty early on, and the movie actually pushed because of casting. Uh-huh. Originally, it was Emma Watson and Miles Teller. Oh, interesting, yeah. Uh, then they recast Emma to be Emma Stone, and then Miles Teller was recast. I think I think they all had uh, – it wasn't artistic things. I think it was all – they were booked for other movies. Scheduling and logistics so the whole issues, scheduling. Yeah. Um, and then they got Ryan and Emma, and that was the cast, obviously, that made the movie yeah. what it was. So that, that, that got pushed maybe eight months, I think, from the original – from the original plan shooting. Um, <clears throat> so once we started in prep, you know, it was a lot of music department meetings. It was, okay, here's what we want to do. You know, okay, we want to do the vocals live. Great. Should be pretty easy. And then they go, well, you know what would be nice is when anytime there's an instrument, can we record that? All right, well, how big is that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like how mm-hmm. many instruments are there? All right, well, this and that, you know, okay, well, is this just for reference? Because for the digital pianos, they're all stereo pianos. And so we could record one if it's just for reference. No, no, it'd be nice to have stereo. Okay, let's do two. So, you know, you start counting up tracks and it starts getting bigger and bigger. And, and bigger, go, oh, yeah, 32, yeah, yeah. 31 tracks on that concert scene. How are we going to do that? You know, without being ridiculous and, you know, bringing in a music truck or something where it's like, you know, this is for reference. Maybe yeah, they'll yeah, use yeah. pieces of it, but we need to be economical at the same time. I mean, this is a... Not a hundred million dollar musical. Musicals right. don't get right. tons of money thrown at them. Yeah, at least not until now. Maybe they will. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's but been very then, successful, obviously. So, did yeah. you uh, did you dream of being a production sound mixer when you were a little boy? Yeah, ever since. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I think when you're growing up, I wanted to be a, a director. Sure. I think um, I've directed a few things over the years for fun, um, and it's entertaining. But I I really love doing sound. So. How did you end up being a, a production sound mixer? Well, sound for me, so I went to college up in Seattle and uh, took their video and film classes, and every project sounded horrific. I mean, sure. it was just like the worst. Sound. And like, how like, do you like, do this? Like students' films. Like student like, films. Like, yeah. Like they do, yeah. Exactly. So I thought, okay, let me take a, a recording class. Let me learn how to do this, and, uh, and then I'll apply it to my films, and it'll be at least it'll be that much better. So I took the class and um, started really liking it, and I started doing sound for other people's projects, and one of the professors there said, hey, everybody should try to get a job on a local movie. Here's the film hotline. Call them. They'll tell you what jobs are open. You can all be PAs or whatever. So I called, and it was a craft service, script supervisor, and boom operator was what they were looking for. And I thought, well, craft service, I know is food. Script supervisor, <laughs> not a clue. I'm guessing they collect everybody's scripts, but obviously <laughs> that's not true. And then uh, boom operator, well, I've been doing sound for people's projects for the last couple months, and I'm willing to work for free. So I'll just right. bug them and bug them until they hired me. And they, they ended up hiring me. And I really enjoyed doing sound. And so I started doing sound in Seattle. But it was more of a hobby uh, in the sense that, you know, you can you can make a decent hobby out of it, but you have to have another job. So I thought, okay, well, when I, I'll save up enough money and I'll just move to L.A. And that's what I'll do. I'll start doing sound. You know, because in my head, you know, this was the level of sound that everybody does. Right. You know, there's one recorder, a <clears throat> microphone, a strap. You know, you wear it and you you boom and you go. So I moved here <clears throat> and applied for whatever jobs I could find on Hollywood Reporter or um, 
backstage. Just going through the production listings. Just going through the production weeks and just sending out resumes. You know, send out 100 resumes, you'll get one phone call. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But that was my odds back then. So I would just send out 200 resumes and get two calls, right? And uh, I was hired to do a boom job for free on a short film. I thought, I can't really work for free, you know, but I'll just show up. I'll do it. And I showed up and the mixer didn't show up. The gear was there and they said, hey, can you just jump in for the day? He's busy on something else. Sure. Started mixing and that mixer came back the next day and said, hey, I'd love to throw you all the extra work that I can't do, which is mostly no pay or $50 a day or whatever it was. And I said, sure, I'm all over it. And, you know, here I am. So cut to 20 years later here and then you turn around 20 years later and you got an oscar nomination right that is <laughs> exactly. awesome so i'm kind of curious um you guys have worked together before right yes, yes. Uh, but this is the this was the first time that uh that you worked with damien correct for, correct. for both of yes, you so how yeah. did that how did that how did you meet damien and how did that process go how did you get on the on board the film and, mm-hmm. and how did the whole thing start okay um so basically um I got contacted by a post supervisor uh, that um, Damien was looking for sound des- sound designers for uh, his next film. It's a musical, and uh, I was on the short list. So um, I read the script and I went to interview with Damien, Tom Cross, the picture editor, and Jordan Horowitz, who is uh, one of the producers. Um, so during the interview, kind of you know, discussed about um, sounds for musicals and how important it is for Damien that um, he wants a seamless transition between the spoken dialogue to the musical numbers. Uh, He wants to avoid some of the pitfalls of some um, musicals where when the song comes in, it sounds like a pre-recorded studio recording. Right, because the the film is stylistically, it it owes a nod to a lot of the French New Wave. Um, But those, most of those uh, films were, most of those musicals were uh, playback uh, on set, right? But Damien wanted to do as much live singing as possible, Mm -hmm. as I understand. Yeah, I think, um, so yeah, a lot of the singing were uh, recorded live and, you know, quite a few songs that we ended up using, I believe that they were all um, live recordings. Um, so that's a big f- factor for him. Uh, he wants things to sound as natural as possible. Um, and also we talked about um, the soundscapes for the movie um, that, you know, obviously from the script, the city, Los Angeles is a big character. So um, we were trying to explore ways using sound to help um, with the city um, ambiences, so. Um, so I'm curious just to drill into that a little bit more. What is that? What what are, what are the sounds of Los Angeles? And mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting because it's sort of the movie kind of feels timeless in, mm-hmm. in a way. So yes. there, there are not that many kind of obvious cues about when the movie happens. That's no. true. So how did that affect you from a sound design perspective? Um, for me, it is to, um, well, first of all, it's more important for me to make sure things sound grounded so that when, and so that when the fantasy, also that when the musical numbers comes in, it's kind of like, it just, you still feel the reality playing. And then before you know it, you're like, oh, wait a minute, they are in a musical. It's kind of so an extension of the scene. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so it doesn't really, hopefully, it doesn't really take the audience out when they start singing and um, stuff. And also having grounded real ambiences and Foley and all those sounds, um, it helps because there's many moments in the film where Damien had wanted it to be soundless, to be just music. Mm. as like a 
total fantasy moment. So if you have something that's real playing and when they go away during those fantasy moments, you have more room to go mm-hmm. when it goes soundless. Um, and so back to the whole um, trying to achieve the LA soundscapes kind of, the main idea is so that um, there's always something happening in the city. It's always bustling. And um, um, one of it, you know, he kind of like gave a movie reference um, during the, the interview. It was um, that uh, he mentioned Boogie Nights. Um, <laughs> I know that it's like more uh, of, kind a of a prettier sound. A very different tone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, LA sound. But yeah. uh, the idea is like how much of the city ambience and voila and 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 music and stuff um, that's always playing around the scenes. So you always have the energy. Um, and um, But of course, for in the La Land, we want things to sound more um, romantic, kind of, sometimes. So well, through it, I'll have to pick choices and sounds on what to put in there. But um, the other movie he brought up as a reference was um, for is uh, Mean Streets. Sure, um, a Scorsese's film. Yeah, even though it's happened in like New York, not in L.A., uh, the idea is that um, he likes like the city to be bustling, and even though this is a musical, but he likes the idea of like hearing different kinds of music, source music, maybe like coming out from a car going by or a neighbor's, um, a, like coming out of a neighbor's apartment, like say when Sebastian first enters his apartment, mm-hmm. uh, he opens the door, and then you hear like, a mariachi song playing down you know, the hallway, right. um, stuff like that. Um, so so that's always different kinds of music coming out from the city too. Um, so, yeah, and then, um, so for a big part of it, it's also, um, um, I've also, through the years, um, due to the budget and time of this film, uh, the schedule, so through the years, um, you know, for most of us sound people, we carry a little recorder with us or, or recording gears, whatever. So sometimes I've recorded some sounds um, over throughout L.A. So they came in handy this time around. Of course, yeah. Um, so And, of course, um, Foley being a really big part of it um, and also being a musical, you know, the all these sounds, um, they have to you know, match the rhythm of the music and also tone the pitch wise they have to not clash mm-hmm. with the with the with the music and so you know um also of course during the mix you know I'll be uh, careful um to pick and choose what to play um which can help emphasize you know their dance moves or um um or you know to make certain songs like uh say the roommate song uh, when they're singing and they're uh, walking around through the uh, the apartment, apartment. Mm-hmm. yeah. So there, here and there, we kind of sprinkle in some foley and some like um, you know uh, accent sounds like hair dryer or the fan opening and stuff, just to same thing um, uh, ground it. Well, I'm, I'm, I would love to hear a little bit more about that because I think one of the things that people are responding to about the film is that, you know, obviously it's it's a musical. It's kind of it's living in a in a stylized plane, but at the same time. Uh, I feel like the sound design 
really roots it in a in a reality mm-hmm. um and that was a very conscious decision you guys weren't you guys weren't emphasizing the fantastical elements through the soundtrack so much it seems for for uh yeah in terms of uh sound no um damien had like always planned had always i think you kind of read it in the script too um so he had always planned to for the fanta- fantasy moments to just go full on music and justin Hurwitz, the composer he did such an amazing job um, with the soundtrack and the and the songs, um, so it completely works for it, and it also gives it the old movie vibe of it. Um, for you know when it goes into full soundless. Um, Do you, you say music. that because old movies tend not to have have not super complicated uh, effects tracks, yes, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially doing musical numbers, um, when I had already seen it, but I know one of the influences was the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, sure. and um, which was completely done to playback or pre-recorded music. And uh, I listened to it because it was like very tiny, specific things. Like you'd suddenly, if it was an an object that was being featured in the scene, you would hear it. But I can't think of examples right now. But it was very sparse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm curious. You, so the two of you have worked together before. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's the division of of labor? How do you guys? What's that? Describe to me how you collaborate. Yeah, I do all the spoken like production, dialogue, um, production effects, and um, ADR group. So the dialogue ADR end of things, and Eileen does all the effects. And, and uh, design, oversees the Foley. Yeah, design effects, Foley, um, those stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then so same thing for the mix. Um, I'll cover that side of the chair. And Andy Nelson, he would deal with the um, music and dialogue. The dialogue and the music. Yeah. Right. And obviously Andy is nominated with you. <laughs> yes, he is. Which is fantastic. Yeah. So... Um, Mildred, I would love to hear a little bit about, you know, I, I was a little surprised yesterday when we were talking with Steve to learn how much of the music of the songs were sung live on set. Yes. <clears throat> and and the other thing that surprised me a lot was how many practical locations there were. There was very little soundstage work on the film. I would think, I mean, we're... I don't even know which one. I mean, I'm thinking the fantasy number at the end, the dance fantasy was on, on a soundstage. Sure. And I think maybe one of... The, one apartment location or something, but you're right. For the most part, even the the girl's apartment in Hollywood was it's an apartment somewhere. Well, that was the one that kind of stunned me because yeah. I thought, you know, that's a big I dance thought, sequence. Yes, it's exactly. I mean, surely that was a set. Yeah. So, um, from from your standpoint, you know, this stuff starts to come in, mm-hmm. and there's production tracks, and they're singing live. I mean, yeah, was. In some ways, that must have complicated things for you a little bit because sure. in, in, in some ways, it's cleaner just to throw everything out and start over from scratch. Right? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a mixed blessing. In some ways, it was great because it made the transitions from dialogue to singing seamless. Like, for example, the audition scene, she speaks in a very like sort of voce, and and she kind of then she go and then the lights go down and she starts singing, but again, kind of very lightly, and then it builds into this full-on musical number that is one of the live songs and um so there's no transition because she's actually so just singing the whole that was, way it was yeah. so great it was seamless i can't Im- i mean I, I had prepared because at one point they it was you know i you never know so i whenever i cue adr for a musical i always cue the the lines going into the song but it turned out we we were able to work with the production 
And um, but that was my first job on the show before they sent that they sent a couple of scenes over. And one of them was audition because um, in it, as the camera moves into moves into um, Dolly's in or, or I guess it was a steady cam moves in, they had to break apart the furniture. So <laughs> so the camel tra travels and the, the furniture breaks apart and the camera goes through. I didn't know what the sound was, but I, it was there. So, so you could, the, you could hear something was the, on the Yeah, the version they sent me, which is that from their Avid, just as it's getting really emotional, you start hearing all these creaking and cracking sounds. <laughs> so it's been a very. It took me a couple of days, but I did what I usually do with dialogue: listen to all the outtakes, the find arts. the each word or each syllable where or each note where there is no creaking, cracking, and and replacing it meticulously like that. It was very satisfying because I was able to achieve it. I was able to get all the sounds out, and it's and it was so emotional and beautiful that it was live live singing. Uh, and, and I think, would you say that, that what you get, uh, what you get from uh, having the actors sing live on set, it's just a different emotional experience. Absolutely. And I feel like for the very emotional type numbers where they're crying or, or, or you know, especially when they're breaking down or getting emotional, it's better when it's recorded live. It's almost impossible to do that. And sure. And a pre-record before you even got on the yeah. set. Yeah. Like so then yeah, so you have the pre-record. How do you cry and uh, I don't know. I don't know how know how an actor could do it. Yeah, it's almost like her delivering a monologue but yeah. singing it. Yes. Um <clears throat> and also it also helps um I think even during the mix I remember um when Andy was mixing it um, for audition, um, Damien wanted to make sure in the mix it don't make it sound too Broadway-ish. Right. So this like tempers it down. So what does that mean? What would it, what 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 would it mean to make it sound too Broadway-ish? Um, maybe like when she's singing on like uh, the bigger moments, the bigger notes, um, not to sound like she's super belting it out uh-huh um it's still gotta have, sound like her yeah and and have almost like the music a little bit over her and she's a little bit under trying to fight through it oh interesting um, so yeah so damien wanted to make sure yeah so uh you talked a little bit about meeting damien and having that first conversation at what point in the process was that was the was that before they shot the film or were they in an editorial oh. yet um by that point um they have I think they may must have just uh, finished shooting the film and was like in the early stages of uh, in uh, cutting it. Um, yeah, and that was probably like early December. Um, and then a few days later, then I heard back from them that um, I was chosen and um, Damien had <clears throat> met Andy Nelson earlier and like wanted Andy to mix it and um, it, and it ha happened to be too that um, I've worked with Andy before, mm -hmm. um, mixed together with him before for a wild uh, a Jean Marc Valley movie with Reese Witherspoon. Mm -hmm. So wild, we right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, my accent. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so it worked out good that like we could work together and we had because you already had a working relationship. Before, yeah. yeah. So did you have conversations with Andy about because I mean, you was this your first time working on a musical? Uh, no, but mixing it, yes, but, um, for, like, editorial stuff, um, no, I, um, I worked, um, on the, mus uh, on a musical called, uh, Rock of Ages. Oh, sure, of course, yeah. yeah. and then, 
<clears throat> and then this other one is not exactly a musical, but it's music related. It's, uh, it's the documentary uh, Buena Vista Social Club. Of course, yeah. Yeah, um, Ben Vendors. Um, so, in a sense, yeah, I've kind of edited some. Uh, it's interesting. I wonder if your your experience on uh, Buena Vista Social Club, in, in some ways, the music in this feels a little bit more documentary like because yeah. it, because of all the live recordings. Yes, yeah. yes, and and um, no, like no, yeah. Similarly, um, like even with the if the backgrounds and effects, um, things were more um, natural and organic than. Um, being too overly um, um, designing, I don't know how to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Less processed. Well, I'm kind of curious. I mean, uh, I, I'd love to kind of get your sense of, of the movie starts off with such a bang, uh-huh. uh, obviously, with the, the sequence on the, uh, on the, the freeway. Yeah. Um, and uh, we heard, obviously, that we learned from Steve that that was, um, that was playback. Mm-hmm. So you're really getting nothing mm-hmm. from the set. Mm-hmm. On those, uh, because there's, there's, you don't have any usable production tracks. Mm-hmm. So, how do you start to build that track out, and how do you decide, you know, how you're going to balance the the pre-recorded music in with what you're you're building? Because it's you're having to make in that first ten minutes some really fundamental decisions about how much of the real world comes through in this mm-hmm. very fantastical. Yeah, um, the opening, you know, it's like one of the challenges for uh, for us. Um, I don't know how much um, like. Originally, at at one point, the traffic song was taken out of the movie. It started, um, but no, it got then put back in. Really but then, quickly. Yeah, really quickly. <laughs> and then, like, they I had to rearrange. I can't imagine re- starting ar- the movie without that. Yeah, and then they had to rearrange the order. Like, it used to be, like, this overture, and then it pans down to this establishing uh, traffic shot. Um, where you see, like, traffic jam on the freeway, and right. then it pans down into, like, Sebastian playing and... Oh. Thelonious Monk, and then panning over, over to Mia with her uh, rehearsal in her car. Sure. Um, then the song starts, but then, um, then at one point it got taken out, and then it got put back in. But they decided to put back in, but started right away with the song. Right. Then finish up with the song, then tell the story to introduce uh, Sebastian and Mia. So in a way, the song so became the overture. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, because in a sense, we already have the overture later on in the epilogue mm, so mm-hmm. uh this gets this this also helps you know set the tone and tells the audience hey w- this is uh, this is going to be a musical so your mindset's already there when right. you first watch it um rather, rather than like having a talking moment then a singing starts uh, to me that was such a strong choice because you yeah. immediately set yes. from the very beginning like these are the rules of the world yeah, exactly. yeah. This is it's what you're a really good hearing. choice. Yeah. Um, so, so because of all that rearrangement, um, they couldn't use the establishing white shot of the traffic jam. So that was like the last several weeks during the final mix. Like Damien uh, and Tom, they were like, "Okay, Eileen, um, we have we need to set up with the soundscape and to sell it to the audience that no." You're stuck in the traffic jam. You're in LA, and then and have like different music coming off the cars. That's that has always been that way, and and from that, it, you know, it builds in, into a cacophony of like real sounds and horns and stuff, and all the radio music, and then that leads into the first song. Um, so, 
we had to figure out how much information to put in there um, and how much time off like just sound on the blue sky before you see the cars. Right. Um, just to keep the audience interested and be clear to the audience. So for that, we worked on it quite a bit of time, had different versions, different lengths. Um, and if, should it be on black screen or a blue sky that pans down and stuff like that. So we worked on it. And uh, so we started with um, Damien, like we... We started with, uh, of course, like keeping the CinemaScope logo thing and did a play on sound also with the visual. Like, you know, it started like very center and mono-ish. And then as the oh, screen and as, opens, the, as the logo yeah, gets, open, gets wider. Uh, the sound yeah. goes into the surrounds and whatnot uh, with the car horns and stuff. And so um, so we added car horns. It starts building up. And then he wants to make sure the cars are idling and not moving so that it doesn't confuse the audience that. No, because it's, it's traffic jam. Right. And then we recorded, um, merely recorded um, uh, someone like uh, like a radio announcer sets it up as L.A. Right. And, and, the and, and it was only a tiny little window to set up. You're in L.A. It's and it's sunny yeah. and it's always sunny in L.A. <laughs> yeah, we had to like get these in these information right, in, as, I, as, uh, as, in as short of time as possible. But uh, but yet yeah, no. So all these starts building up and then. Um, Justin Hurwitz gave um, gave um, us like a bunch of different kinds of music, different styles, eclectic styles. Um, so we kind of picked and choose, and then um, oh, so so it's Justin's music that's coming from the various people's radios mm-hmm. and the cars around. Yeah, but I it's, mean, it's but the it's their own style, right? Yeah, and then the eighteen twelve overture of uh, of course it's like uh, I think it, they they may have gotten it from like classical music thing. So, but Damien had wanted to start it with a eighteen twelve overture. So I just took it and just started. That's the first piece of music, and then he wants it to almost like sound like as though you're listening, and then it's like a score eighteen twelve overture, and then suddenly you hear the radio tuning sound right. and be like, oh, someone's tuning to a radio, and it it pans down, and then you see the different cars. So you know, Justin like made like a you know, some Hispanic hip hop, all kinds. And then that's a little clip of um piece of music from uh, Gaia Madeline. I think it's Damien's first movie. It's his first movie, yeah. Right. In there. And then like NPR and stuff like that. So, uh, and then so I peppered in like, so I had cut all that um, and layered like, you know, um, Foley sounds. I recorded some like just drumming on steering wheel and whatnot. Sure. Just to ground them with the radio cars and uh, peppering some other horns here and there um and that should all build into like this wall of sounds that then in from within it comes out the um the girls the for the first traffic song right right yeah right. and so as they start singing and dancing um as you said that's that's uh, all um we have we couldn't use the production sound there, so um, yeah. So I just like picked and choose uh, some. Um, we covered it all with foley, but then um, I just like went in and like picked and choose um, to see because very importantly, like the sound shouldn't interfere with the the, the music, the mm-hmm, song, mm-hmm. and Damien also wants to make sure of that. Um, but uh, they can be used to help, like say, punctuate certain parts of the song or punctuate some of their movements 
but sometimes like um, midway through, like say some of the dancers were on the car roofs dancing. I had covered those, but like Damien was like, oh, maybe best not to play those up because they like those sounds tend to sometimes overpower the music. You're talking about he was concerned about the foley, maybe the being foley a, a, a on the too, a on the footsteps. Too present. Yeah, footsteps on the on the car roof. Yeah. Was, but so, it's only in the middle part. But later on at the end, when like you see this white shot of them dancing, we used the foley on there. Right. Yeah. Who was your foley team on the on the film? Uh, it's uh, Dan O'Connell and John Cucci from One Step Up. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so they got a lot of uh, they had a lot of dancing experience by the time they got finished with your film. Well, um, they yeah yeah they did. Um, part of the whole car of stuff. Um, some of it are them, and some of it um, I've covered in effects actually. Oh really? Yeah. Because um, I that's like the the first scene I got to work on the movie. So um, so I just you know cut um, covered with uh, effects, but. Um, um, yeah, they did a lot of uh, great dance work stuff, and then and like our Foley editor, um, you know, um, uh, Matt Harrison, he cut them so that they are. I I had told him specifically like follow the rhythm of the music. Sometimes you just ignore the sync. Yeah. <laughs> oh really? So yeah, um, your brain will trick you uh, into thinking, yeah, it's actually in sync, just because this. Once it flows with the song, it's it's okay. So it's interesting. It was more important for it to be in sync with the beat of the music yes. than actually yeah. literally what was happening. Yeah, in the especially picture. like that duet scene where Mia and Sebastian, um, like after they left the pool party, and then she was looking for her car with her up in, car up in Griffith Park with yeah. the remote control. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh-huh. Um, so for and then like in that scene, you now they start singing and then they start dancing so for that dance sequence um we same thing like in the traffic song we couldn't use the production sound because there was life because that particular that particular they were that was playback yes okay and so um we had to replace all that with like foley um uh, and also because some of the singing before it could be pre-recorded mm-hmm. and so this also helped introduce um, the audience like to make it seem more real more grounded and not like a pre-record scene so during the dancing um, um, they had danced to a soft shoe soft shoe choreography um, and um, so we had done fully with soft shoe, but like midway through post-production, Damien had a great idea like, that like, hey, why don't we change it up and use tap shoe? Tap shoes, yeah. Uh, with tap, cor- no, some tap accent, tap choreography in there with the sounds. Um, this way, um, I think it's a great idea because, you know, the sound of the tap shoes, it plays better against the music. Um, and... Um, that's no, because there's so many like references to old classical music. Sure. So it's more That's of a Fred and Ginger. Yeah. yeah. So it's more of a. So he wants like that Fred and Ginger sound, the tap shoe sounds, because, you know, like different musicals, they have different, slightly different tap shoe sounds, depending on like M- if it's MGM or whoever. So we did some research. Yeah. And I was getting have really you become, like. Have, nerdy you a, here. have you become an expert? You can say, yeah, uh, no. that's an MGM. Yeah, user. right. <laughs> so, like, uh, we did some research and, like, uh, you know, played Damien a few clips from different movies to see which kind of sound he prefer. 
And uh, he, so we narrowed them down, like from Top Hat and stuff. He likes them. Oh my gosh, that so. must have been so much fun. Yeah, yeah. it was. <laughs> so then like, we, <laughs> we, uh, so we enlisted Mandy Moore, who's a choreographer. Yeah. Um, and she brought her dancers in to the Foley stage. But at one point, we were also trying to research to see if we could find the actual st- stage because we heard from someone that like Sony scoring stage may have. The oh, real, look. the original floor. Yeah. No, like yeah, that's wow. what we heard, and then yeah. so we went and checked it out, but unfortunately, it was, a, moved, was a, so it was a, it was a apocryphal lie. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. Yeah. So we ended up back at the Foley stage, um, and then so we tried with different shoes, different weighted shoes, um, and tried different surfaces, and so even though they're even though they're dancing on asphalt, we just like uh, we ended up using like a wood floor surface because there's more resonance we wanted that slight rounded sound um without being too picky um and uh, and it, it doesn't matter that the 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 quality of the sound that you're hearing doesn't match people dancing what on you asphalt see. at all <laughs> yeah right? yeah yeah no it's a fa- um, it's, it's fantastic world. Yeah. yeah yeah um and so um like mandy and a dancer and, and damien and no as we're at, on dance stage um for them dance, um, doing the tap fully and um, with the tap shoes and slightly, you know, tap choreography in there. And so after that, um, I sat down and, like, started editing them. Same thing uh, to the rhythm of the music. Um, right. And um, and after that, uh, I would review it with Damien. And during the mix, you know, Damien was very specific in what which tap sounds to feature and whatnot, or or maybe play up the scrapes instead. Mm. Um, not the hits, maybe, but not the hits, but the scrapes. Yeah, because yeah. it may go better with the song. Sure. Or, or maybe if they do a big jump, stomp move, uh, it may be good to uh, emphasize that instead of the, some of the smaller moves. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, then um, once we were... Um, done with that phase, um, we had Mandy Moore come onto the stage, the sound mixing stage, to review it with her to make sure, like, for a dancer's point of view. Really? She buy it. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. So, it was, wow. It sounds yeah. so collaborative and fun. Yeah. It was very fun. <laughs> it was a lot of time, but yeah, yeah it was. I'm, I'm curious about the, you know, obviously the, I guess the epilogue sequence, is that what you call it? Sort of the, the whole... You know, as Sebastian sits, sits at if. the piano and plays the whole yes. what if game. Yeah. Did that, because you're basically in kind of a fantasy of Sebastian playing this back and thinking about what might have happened, did that, did you play with a different treatment for the sound effects through that through that sequence? Or how did that sequence come together? There isn't really much in there. I mean, we did prepare, like it's I recorded. It's very music forward, right? Yeah, it's yeah. very music forward. I recorded some group and I laying. Yeah, we, some, we, we some. tried some sound effects here and there, but um, Damien wanted it to be like a total fantasy world. Yeah. And so, and he had always lived with that for so long. So, um, um, so we just went with like being mostly soundless, except except for certain moments, like you know, um, like uh, at one point in the epilogue, they come out of this like sound stage, and then right. through, and that's this whistle. Sure. So we added the whistle, and then like we ran it by Justin just to make sure like the pitch right. is all correct. Oh, because <laughs> it has to sit with the music. Right? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or like you know the film projector that. Sure. Starts the second part of the epilogue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, even, I know this is like not regarding the epilogue, like, you know, for some of these soundless moments, like even at the, in the observatory, 
theme for the rebel without cause. Mm-hmm. Um, that is also mostly soundless with just uh, music. Um, we did try um, really late in the final mix part um, to introduce some like like say I would use the similar same sounding car sounds from the actual rebel without from cause. the movie uh-huh. yeah it's like very very similar and then um to 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 lay it low in there and then like adding like um for the what's what's the the tesla coil tesla coil yes thank right. you and then like <clears throat> tesla coil like no i had like made it sound like more like old hollywood sounding tesla coil and mm-hmm. stuff he liked like it. frankenstein <laughs> yeah he, he, he really liked them but uh, so so that you have those sounds, and then like once she that she flies up the sky, then it goes soundless. We we try things like that, but I think to him the fantasy moment happens once they pull up to Griffith right. Observatory. Right. Right. So that should then so we then at least really we try fantasy, and then you're in a yeah that's a that total fantasy moment. That's so. interesting. Uh, so we had no sound there. So I I think when people think about La La Land. In terms of the thing about sound, I think they, you know, immediately just think of musical numbers, and mm-hmm. so that, that's what the, your your mind goes to. But I'm curious for the for the both of you, what were your favorite sequences in the film? Maybe that that weren't, you know, the musical numbers, but what what was what was really fun and challenging for you guys? Interesting. Uh, for me, it's um, maybe like her walk, um, like after early on in the movie. Um, um, after like uh, the pool spinning around with the fireworks after that the big party scene yeah yeah after that like Mia realized like her ta- her car has been towed and right. her, her phone is like out of juice so it's just her walking alone to different parts of the city and so you hear the different um, uh, city environments different spaciousness and closeness um, right because she has that whole long walk yeah and that mm-hmm. then like and and you know having like um, you know s- just simple like um, maybe a distant vehicle going by with the tonal shift mm-hmm. that then blends itself into like her hearing Sebastian playing the piano right. from um, you know from inside the club and that draws her attention yeah right, yeah right. so uh, and then and then of course this then leads into like a little bit of music moment and then she hears the piano and then like from that from one of the notes you hear his horn coming in mm-hmm. so i think yeah we have fun i think for me it might be the um the breakup scene where they have their big fight it's one of the biggest dialogue scenes in the movie and it's it's a very powerful scene it's also i like the way he used the metaphor of that's when the music stops and sort of that's when the love is in jeopardy. Right. Because um, they're listening to a record. They're listening to a record. And, and it's, I think it, I love, it stays in the run-out groove, right? It does yeah. stay in the run-out groove, but you don't hear it Mm-mm. until, until a certain point, it. until you see it, right. So, and, and we played with the logic of it, like, oh, maybe you should hear it as soon as, but it didn't work. So it worked better for it to... Yeah, to ha- it worked better to have that awkward silence. Yes. Um, and not have that groove sound from the moment the music stopped. Right, because you don't you don't need it. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. It's it's more powerful just having it silent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because what you, you what you're saying is really interesting because it's you, you're 
when you want to go into a fantasy in the film, the vocabulary is the natural world drops out and the music steps forward. In that moment, it's exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. And that's how you know they're really in trouble. Yes. yes. Because the music is gone. Yes. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. What a yeah. great, what a great and, way and to put it. And also, I feel like... Um, even though that scene is not a big musical numbers, but it's almost like the pacing and rhythm of the dialogue. Exactly. It's almost like it's very rhythmic. Yeah, it's very, very rhythmic, rhythmic. Yes. So and 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 every so often, you know, using the production uh, cutlery and or uh, um, a tiny tiny bit of like foley for like grabbing a glass and stuff. But right. um, that it's almost like helps punctuate po- some of the rith- the dialogue rhythm. You know, like at midway through, you know. Um, I forgot, um, Sebastian said something to Mia, and then she had, like, this um, knife scrape. It was mm. like, what, what, like... And was it shot that of, way, or was that something that you put together in post? It was um, from production, but um, it was just, like, cut that way. So yeah, I a lot of it was, was the production, yeah. cutlery sounds, yeah. and then augmented. Just tiny t- bit, little bit for yeah. the... Uh, cups and stuff but uh we did add some more but like damien damien wanted to make sure that we use mostly of the production sound sure that's great and steve recorded that like he recorded the whole movie really well and that scene especially was so beautifully recorded i it it, i just love the way the voices sound in that scene and it's pretty great it's a wonderful it's beautiful scene yeah it's very and i just loved how realistic it was too and you have this incredible transition from two people very happy to see each other and then at the end it's over i don't know how did that happen but it just all builds but it it felt exactly right and the thing thing, thing i loved about that sequence is that they they were both right yes yes exactly that doesn't really happen in a fight scene in a movie very often that you you can totally you understand exactly where both of them are coming from and that's it's the same i could i I feel the same way about the scene where he talks to john legend and john legend is well, actually, Sebastian's listening, and John Legend is is giving his point of view, and he has a real point. That's right. Mm-hmm. So that's what I love about the movie. It it it's balanced in that way, and well, it's more complicated because it everyone yes. everyone is behaving true, truly, and organically, exactly. and from a very strong sense. So I, I would love to ask you a little bit about the about Dolby Atmos uh, on the mix. Had you worked in Atmos before? Yes. Okay. So. Um, what was your approach to Atmos? What, did you use it mostly during the musical numbers, or how did you how did you use that tool in this particular film? Okay, uh, so for this film, we uh, final in uh, Dolby Atmos, and um, we most I think Andy used a lot of it um, in the music mix, um, and some of it I think he uh, pulled some of the instruments like into the room a little bit. Um, just to give it more depth um, away from some of the dialogue. Well, yeah, scenes. one of the things that we've we've seen people do a lot of with music mixes specifically because you can you can you can pull the music off the screen mm-hmm. into the first one or two speakers yeah. on the sidewall, right? And that just creates a lot more space yeah. for the the dialogue and the production track to sit with the music very comfortably. Yeah. So he used a, a lot of that, and then um, I would think, um, yeah, Andy would have uh, a better answer to more more of the music mix question uh, regarding uh, Atmos. But uh, as far as the effects goes, um, uh, I used uh, some of it um, uh, for the ambiences or, say, uh, for the overheads, like, you know, say, um, 
that scene when um, the guy jumps down into the pool mm -hmm. for the big party, and then you know, so some of it um, I just panned over the overheads, so it feels like the water is going over her head, right? Um, or like the helicopter going by uh, later on in the movie when Mia and her future husband um, sits in the traffic, right? Because um, being one of the typical LA experiences, town, <laughs> having helicopters a helicopter go over here, of course, yeah. Um, uh, or yeah, or, or some of the um, ambiences, um, yeah. Um, I kind of put them a little bit in the room, uh, just to hopefully have a bit of an immersive experience That's for great. the audience. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you two so much thank for you. spending some time with us and talking about the La La Land track. Thank it was, you. Uh, thank you so much. it's, uh, I, I loved hearing about the research you guys did on the old, uh, old, old musicals. And <laughs> yeah. It just sounds like it was a really fun movie to work on. It was, it was. definitely yeah. one of the yeah. most fun. Great. Well, this is your first time mm -hmm. nominee nominations for both yes. of you. Yes. Yeah. Well, congratulations thank on the nomination. Thank you so much. Fingers crossed for you guys on the twenty sixth. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Good luck, and uh, and and well, that's a wrap on this episode. Uh, doc, talking about La La Land uh, here with uh, Eileen Lee and Mildred Ayatru. Thanks so much for talking to us today. Thank you. Thank you.